Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome to Truth Pod, the weekly podcast presenting the Bible as the only infallible Word of God. Infallible meaning without error, without any mistake. It is the only book by which you and I will be judged when we stand in the presence of God. Now I know when I make statements like that about the Bible, it ruffles some feathers, especially of the liberals, especially of compromising Christians. You know, it makes people like that mad because we live in a world that says we have no moral absolutes. This way they can excuse their lifestyles. If we would live our lives according to the precepts of the Bible, then we would spare ourselves of a lot of unnecessary heartache and pain. Try it. It works. But if you want the full impact from the Bible, then you'll have to invite the author of the book to be the Lord of your life. See, you can, you can practice it. You can practice the precepts of the Bible without being a Christian. You can do it. You can practice them, but you won't have the full impact of, of, of the Bible and what it was truly intended for uh, and truly meant to accomplish in your life. So if you want, without Christ, try it out and uh, see how much better it'll improve your life by just practicing it, its, its uh, precepts. But it'll astoundingly improve your life, and I know that's some bad language, English, I'm sure, uh, it will abundantly bless your life if you, if you invite the author of the book into your life first. Now, I just finished the series, The Road to Golgotha. It was, a, it was not a short road. It was not an easy road. It was a necessary road. Because had he not walked it, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. And there were a lot of things that happened on the road to Golgotha that we really don't take much time to contemplate. We don't give it much thought. We, uh, you know, we bypass it as, okay, this happened, sure, or, you know, oh, this happened, or that happened. You know, there are things that had, had taken place in that whole process from uh, from uh, the entrance to the city on Palm Sunday till he was laid in the tomb, things that happened that we just generally overlook or neglect to think about, but that could have uh, impact in making us have a greater appreciation for what Jesus did in our lives. Now, for the next two weeks, I'll be taking a break from doing a, a series of studies um, and just offer a couple of standalone sermons. Today's sermon or study is not for the delicate or the faint of heart. It's rather rough and to the point. And some things when you talk about, when some things when you talk about, you really just cannot smooth them over. You really just cannot you know, glaze them over so that it, it's palatable for everyone. 
some things in life are rough and they have to be handled and 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 dealt with in that way and this is one of them if you can uh, if you're not driving of course please join me in prayer heavenly father i thank you for this time of doing truth pod and recording these podcasts and father I, i'm not the most prolific speaker uh, i just pray for your grace uh I often stumble through my words and uh, and make mistakes and and um, Father, I, I need your grace just as much as anyone else. When I do these podcasts, I need your grace in doing these podcasts. Father, I, I pray that you would use me for your glory. Father, I pray that you would touch those who listen, that they would be impacted by the word of God, that it would have impact on them and draw them closer to you and and help them. Lord, that what I say points them toward Jesus. That's all that matters, Lord God, is that I can point them to you, Lord Jesus. Help me to do so. Help them to see you, Jesus, in what is being said. I pray that your name be glorified in these studies. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've titled this study, the sermon, Not For Me. There are a number of things in life that I would quickly admit, that's not for me. I mean, besides broccoli, okay? I was watching this reality show where the contestants, you know, would place their heads inside a glass case filled with tarantulas, The one that lasted the longest was on their way to winning $50,000. I mean, who wouldn't want $50,000? And man, imagine the things you can, you know, buy if you had (sighs) $50,000. But listen, really, and I'm serious when I say this, they could offer me $100,000 And I would firmly have to tell them, that's not for me. I mean, there's no way you would get this head stuck in a glass case filled with tarantulas crawling all over it. No, thank you, not for me. I have seen people on TV who enjoy mountain climbing. I watched as they would climb sheer cliff sides without hooks or tethers. They'd have no lines attached to them. There were no nets under them. There was no safety precautions taken whatsoever from all of my viewing. I could not see anything. So there was nothing keeping them from falling except their precisely placed toes and fingertips on the cliffside. I looked at them climbing, and they are hundreds of feet up in the air and all that is below them is empty space until they hit the ground and I thought that's not for me I was watching a documentary about a man about men exploring Mammoth Cave and I've been there uh, a number of times in my youth and I watched as they slipped through narrow passageways because they were looking for unexplored areas in the cave and they you know these were legitimate explorers so they would crawl through 
very narrow passageways, barely big enough for the human body to fit through. <laughs> oh, boy. All of a sudden, my claustrophobia kicked in. I would have to go, you know, like that to breathe. Just the thought of them being underground like that and, uh, you know, just crawling through those very thin hole in, hole in the ground, very thin hole in those caves. And I decided right there that exploring caves was not for me. I'm sure you've gotten the point by now of what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about not for me, if you haven't, this is the ultimate not for me right here as I turn to Scripture. And I'm turning to Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31 in the English Standard Version. And I read, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end, the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about hell than any other preacher of the Bible? He also spoke of hell as someone who had complete knowledge of the place. He also spoke of hell as being eternal. Now, Jesus here is speaking this parable, this story, to these his audience, as he would often do. But at certain times, he would say, a certain man, or there was a, you know, when he says here, there was a rich man. This tells us that it's more than just a parable. This is an actual 
event. This is something that Jesus viewed, and he's now relating it to the people who are listening to him. And I know maybe you've never heard it put that way before. But this is what's going on. There was a certain rich man. I want to use as my first note, and I have three. I have three points to bring out. And uh, the first one is, not for me, no compassion. There are two main characters in this story, a certain rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. First, the rich man. Now, he's not known by name. He doesn't, his name isn't spoken, you know, it isn't even mentioned anywhere. You could turn the pages and look carefully, you know, between the lines and you won't find the rich man's name. I thought that's interesting. You won't find his name. Now, today in our world that we live in, we know quite a few rich men, you know, because they're prominently broadcasted on our television sets or radios or whatever medium you may listen to, Twitter, Facebook, or uh, whatever, Instagram, or whatever. Uh, They're mentioned. You've got men like Jeff Bezos. You've got men like... uh, Oh, um, now I can't think of them, you know. And so, you know what I mean? You've got a bunch of them that are just out there, and uh, and they are they're well known. Their names are well prominently portrayed, and but this rich man's name isn't even given. It's only said he's rich. He's rich. You'd have no trouble recognizing the rich man. He was dressed in purple and fine linen. I mean, he had the best-looking clothing. There are some people who get, get hung up, very hung up on clothing. I won't go on, I won't chase that rabbit down that trail. I could, but I won't. But the rich man, he is. He's very hung up in how he looks. It is a necessity of life, as breathing is to you and I, as eating is to you and I. How he looks is very important. It makes a statement. It tells everyone who sees him, now there's someone who has a lot of money. So his clothes, you know, tell the story about him before he even gets there. He's dressed in fine linen. Now there's nothing wrong with nice clothing. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with having nice clothes, wearing nice clothes. Ladies, if you have a beautiful dress, wear it. If you have a beautiful whatever, ensemble, let me put it that way, wear it, okay? Men, you have some nice shirts, slacks, whatever, and you want to wear them, wear them. That's fine. There's not a thing wrong, and he's not saying there's anything wrong with the dress. But the rich man was dressed Uh, He was dressed very, um, or in a way that just promoted him who he was before he even got there. The uh, one word that describes his lifestyle, I guess, would be flamboyant. He was definitely among the rich and famous. You could tell by the rings on his hands, you know. You could tell by how he looked and how he walked and how his shoes would shine and reflect, you know. And other people admired and envied him. And even thinking, man, 
I wish I could look like that. Or, man, that guy has money. That's the idea behind how he's dressed. Another thing that is mentioned about this rich man is that he feasted sumptuously every day. He had all the food that any one person could want to eat. Now, he feasted sumptuously. In other words, he would have banquets every day. He could, every day he, he could have all the, the feasting when he, if there wasn't something on the table that he wanted, uh, then he would just snap his fingers and they would immediately bring him what he wanted. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't any, uh, any trouble for him to have what he wanted to eat. He could eat sumptuously every day. He had all the food, everything necessary and to satisfy his appetite. No ramen noodles for him. He could have steak, prime rib, oysters, caviar, anything his heart des desired. He denied himself nothing. It was, after all, it was a part of his riches. After all, it was a part of who he was, so why not treat himself and take care of himself and, and dress himself beautiful and have the best food and everything because after all, I'm rich. I can do that. If he were living today, he would be driving the fanciest vehicles made. He would spare no expense on himself. So I hope we can, this picture is being painted properly here of the idea is that and not everyone is this way, thank God, but the idea is that he's focused on himself. So his apparel points to himself. The food that is put on his table is another, um, another example of his riches, another show of how great he is. You know, everything would point to him. Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world today with a net worth of over 178 billion and believe me probably has more than that elon musk um was another rich man that i was trying to think of his name just a few minutes ago and it was told that his earnings has just doubled in the last quarter okay and i'm thinking uh, billions and billions, and then double that billions and billions. Uh, who can do the counting? I know I can't. I know I can't. But getting back to Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos can splash over $20 million on cars without even breaking a sweat. Here are the few of the cars he owns. Now, listen, I have one vehicle for me, and my wife has a vehicle she drives. I have a motorcycle. I can drive as well, and a lawnmower. Okay, but I digress. Oh, and a snowblower in the winter. Anyway, uh, he <coughs> here's the cars that he, um, Jeff Bezos has. <coughs> a 1997 Honda Accord, a Kion Sieg CCXR Trevita, a Bugatti Veyron Mansory, a Lamborghini the Neo Roadster, a Ferrari, a Penny Fernia Sergio, Sergio, okay, a Lincoln Hypersport, a Cadillac Escalade, a Lincoln Stretch Limousine. 
Wow. Wow. I mean, that's that's a lot of vehicles that he has lined up in his car. Uh, I saw videos before of Jay Leno uh, having all the vehicles Jay Leno collected. And, uh, and there were a lot, and they're cool. And there's nothing wrong with having nice vehicles, you know, and, and such. But for the rich man, and, and again, I say not all of them, but for this rich man, this would be a way to say who he is and to flaunt who he is and what he's made of. Next, I want to talk about the next character, and that would be the poor man. Man, this is like going from you know, day to night, daytime being the rich man, oh man, you can see him all over, but the nighttime, it's not as clear and not as good to see the poor man. While we gawk and awe at the rich man, you know, we admire him and think how wonderful it would be, and we dream, oh, if I only had his, mon his money, the poor are treated differently. We have a tendency to ignore them. Society tries to put them out of sight so they don't have to look at them. Oftentimes they're hiding under the bridges. Oftentimes they're put in slum uh, apartments, uh, run-down rooms, just so we don't have to look at them when we, and we tell ourselves we are doing good by putting them there. This poor man has a name, and his name was Lazarus, and this is not... Mary and Martha's brother, this is a, a separate Lazarus. And this Lazarus, he was poor and he was covered with sores. It's quite common to find the poor having little to no insurance. Nothing. No way to pay medical bills because they're poor. And when I'm talking about poor, I'm talking about extremely poor here. This man was extremely poor. And he would probably be the definition of poor. They don't go to the hospital, the poor, because they can't pay. So they don't go. If they're sick, they just, you know, they just endure it until they can get over it. Lazarus had also something else. See, he, he, had, he had his sores, and he was covered in sore, and he was miserable. But Lazarus also had something else going wrong. Lazarus was hungry. He did not set his sights on a stake or prime rib. Best he could hope for was crumbs. We should also note that Lazarus could not walk. That's why he was laid at the rich man's gates in hoping that the rich man would help him. See, we must assume that the rich man saw Lazarus at his gate every day, but he did nothing to relieve his suffering. I know we can't help everyone, right? We can't. We can't save them all. We can give money here to this person who's hurting, or and then some to this person who's hurting at another time, but we can't, you know, help everyone. But this rich man could have done something. And notice, this is not a, a talk about salvation as far as when you're dealing with this rich man and this poor man. We are not talking about who's saved and who's unsaved. 
by virtue of the man of, of the poor man Lazarus being, you know, uh, at Abraham's side in paradise, states that he was saved, and the rich man being in hell states that he was not saved. My uh, point number two, not for me, no thoughts for tomorrow. There is something that both the rich man and Lazarus had in common, a limited lifespan. Riches might keep the rich man alive a little longer, but not forever. I remember and sometimes think sometime back, I, I knew of this person that was, they were quite wealthy, doing very well. And um, the man's wife had cancer. And she went through some rough time. And, and thank God, she loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. And, and I, I hopefully and believe that he did too. The thing about it is, she ended up dying. The riches could not save her. His riches, all the money, and I'm sure he would have spent all he possibly could to have saved her, but he couldn't save her. There was nothing he could do. It was beyond him. The money was useless, powerless to change her condition. So though the man may be rich, it will not buy the man another day of life. The rich man only cared about today, okay? He only cared about today and all he could get out of it. He partied, he dressed lavishly, and only thought about himself. The rich man had a heart problem. 1 John 3.17 says this, But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He has a heart problem. It's a heart issue. And I'm not talking about a physical heart here, a heart problem. I'm talking about a compassionate heart. He has a heart problem. Now, let me say that you can be rich and go to heaven. And hopefully, you know, if you're rich and, and, you, and you're, you're rich because God has blessed you, you know, and you can go to heaven. You can also be poor and go to hell. That's just, you know, flat out fact. This rich man gave no thought about tomorrow or where he would spend eternity. It wasn't on his mind. After all, tomorrow, that's down the road. Right now, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to show off. I'm going to have the time of my life. Over the past 43 years, I've talked to people about where they would spend eternity. And when I brought up how Jesus died to save them from their sins, sometimes I got the response, that's not for me. When someone talked to you about Jesus, did you respond, that's not for me? My friend, just like the rich man and Lazarus, one day you too will die. And when you die, you will exit this short life and enter eternity. Here's what it says in Revelations 3 and 20 in the English Standard Version. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's what Jesus is saying. 
if anyone, you know, hears my voice, if anyone opens the door, and man, I tell you, I know I you hear me when I do these studies, when it gets to the part, whosoever will, anyone, I really emphasize it, and I'll speak it a few times. Why? I want to bring the point home. I want to hit what the baseball players would call a grand slam. I want to hit it out of the ballpark. Those words are so vital. If anyone hears my voice, if anyone opens the door, he's saying. So I'm saying to you, if anyone hears his voice, he says, I will come to him and I will eat with him and he with me. In other words, I'll be in communion with you. All you have to do is hear my voice and open the door of your life to me. Point number three and my final point is this. Not for me. No more choices. The poor man died and was carried to, uh, by the angels to Abraham's side. A place of peace, comfort. Never again would he know hunger, pain, or suffering. He'd never know those things anymore. It was done. That time had ended and ceased. And I'm sure he was glad. He would no longer be ignored, no longer be pushed aside, walked over, walked around, uh, you know, and have people who would walk by him and turn their heads and ignore him as if he wasn't even there. Nevermore, nevermore. Now he is forever in the arms of his heavenly father. Now he would know the joy of being in God's presence forever. Imagine how he felt. He could look at his body without being ashamed of what people thought about him or wishing he could move about freely like other people. The rich man also died. Sometimes we act as if we are never going to die. But if you have checked the statistics lately, you would see that one out of one person living today dies. One out of one dies. Everyone. I don't care who you are. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how much you go to the gym and work out and, and, and you've got a great physique and, and your heart might be beating the, the proper amount of beats per minute and your blood pressure may be at the perfect, you know, perfect uh, rate it is supposed to be at. You could die at any moment. And they do. Children die. Out, playing football out on the court Playing, or out on the field playing football, or out on the basketball court playing basketball, drop over dead. And people are, are just caught off guard with no explanation as to why. The rich man died, it says. The rich man, after he died, he went to hell. Not because he was rich, but because he was lost. He went to hell, and being in torment there, you know, he, he, he lifted up his eyes, and, and but notice this, there will be no parties in hell. No parties. I've heard people so erroneously say, oh, when we get there, we're going to have a party in hell. No, no, there will be no parties in hell. More than likely, you'll suffer alone. More than likely, you will be all by yourself when you are in hell. Isolation will be one of the torments 
of an eternal hell. Can you imagine eternal blackness forever? I hate darkness, all right? I really do. I hate pitch darkness where I can't see the hand in front of my face. I really can't stand it. I don't like waking up in the night and it's totally black. Now, some people, they love that. I, I don't. I hate that. And uh, But the, the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment and he's in darkness. He's in darkness, okay, and he's suffering. Obviously, he gets to see someone at a distance. There is someone at a distance, and he can speak to this being, whether it's an angel, uh, you know, it, it just says Abraham. It, it don't necessarily mean it was Father Abraham, as we know, and, and it was just, you know, an example a person referred to as that. And he could speak to that person. But there is no partying. No, nothing going on here where someone could say, oh, this is great. There will be nothing. Jesus said it will be where the worm will not die. The fire will never be quenched. Worms. I, yeah, right. Just that thought alone is enough to say. I'm thinking maggots, okay, when he says worms. Uh, it could be all kinds of worms. I don't know. But it's nasty and gross. And once you get there, there are no more choices. No more choices. This side of the grave, we've got the choices. We've got the choices for eternity. This side of the grave. Um, Joshua. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Choose you this day who you will serve. Choose you... This day, who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've made my choice. The rich man, where he's at now, no more choices. It's all done. It's all done. Even in hell, he thought he could make deals. All he wanted was for his suffering to end. Notice, he wanted his suffering... He probably hadn't suffered in years, you know. He, he he didn't know what suffering was like, you know. And here he is suffering. And uh, he, he just asked that Lazarus dips the tip of his finger in water. Just a little bit, just a tip. Can you think how much that is? That's, that's not much at all, is it? I'd want a whole gallon jug. But he's asking. He's so desperate. He is so desperate and, and in dire need here that he's crying out to this, this uh, Abraham and he's saying if he would just let it, Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in some water and bring it over here to me because I thirst in this flame. I'm dying. I'm thirsty. I can barely speak. My throat is so dry and parched. Abraham responded, remember, I believe one of the greatest torments in hell will be memories. Abraham responded to the rich man, remember, remember, child, when you were in your lifetime, you had your riches, you had your beauty, you had your greatness, and you flaunted it, and, and you, you showed it off to the whole world, and you lived it up. You had it. And I said, and as I said, I believe one of the greatest torments in hell will be memories. 
I believe one of the major ones that will haunt the person that's there will be every time that someone talked to them about Jesus and they said, not for me. Not for me. I don't want nothing to do with that Christianity stuff. I want to party and have my fun and live my life. Not for me. And this angel says, remember, remember. In hell, I believe it'll be brought back to us every time we abuse someone. In hell, it'll be brought back to us if we don't know Jesus, that's where we're going. And if we spend eternity there, it'll be brought back to us every time we had an opportunity to accept the Son of God. And we said, not for me. Not for me. Every time, I believe, and then cascading under that would be every time you had opportunity to do right to someone. Every time you had opportunity to bless and love on someone, give to someone, you know, take care of someone, deliver someone, meet someone else's needs. Every time, all of that cascading from accepting of Jesus first. And you'll remember those things and you'll wish, oh, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done that and that. Oh, if I'd only listened to mom when she told me about Jesus. Oh, if I'd only listened to the preacher when he preached the word and he told me about how Jesus died on Calvary's cross. Oh, if I'd only listened and believed. And you'll be saying, oh, I believe now. I believe now. But then it's too late. It's too late. Oh, how the lost will wish they'd had, all, had it all to do all over again. If they could only go back. If they could only have one more chance. When the rich man finds out his deals no longer works, he makes a request. Please send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. I don't want them to come here. Hell will be without end. There'll be no escaping it. You have no more choices. Maybe you're thinking, this is not for me. And you know how I would answer you? I would say, you are absolutely right. Listen to this verse of scripture. Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never meant for you, my friend. Hell was never meant for you. I don't care if you're a drunkard, if you're a drug addict, if you're into pornography, if you're into gambling, if, if you're addicted to whatever you're addicted to and you can't break the habit, you can't break the chains, if you can't stop sinning, I don't care. Hell was not meant for you. But you go there because you choose to reject Jesus Christ. Re choose to you you refuse to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You refuse to accept him and what he did at the cross, and you say in your heart, not for me. Not for me. After all that bad news I've given you, I have some good news for you. John 3.16 still says. This side of the grave, my friend, listen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, thank you, Lord, for whosoever, because that means me. That means me. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's hope, my friend. There's hope. Romans 10.13 says this, For everyone, everyone, woo, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And guess what he'll do? He'll forgive you and he'll come into your heart and he'll change your life. If you'll go to him and I beg and plead with you, go to him. Go to him. You don't want to go where the rich man went. You don't want to end up in a devil's hell. Remember, it was not for you. It was not for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So you can say, not for me, not for me. And you'd be absolutely right, my friend, because Jesus has a better place in mind for you. I, um, I'm going to close with that and what I've just said. Sometimes I get to thinking about how dramatic and, and such I may get on these podcasts. And if it gets a little too uh, dramatic for you, pardon an old man, ignore an old man or whatever, skip past it if you like, uh, you know, I, 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 I pray for you, if you will just turn to him, turn to him, he'll change your life, he'll change your life, thank you for taking your time and listening, I know I've went a long time today in this podcast, but I believe it was a necessary one. Turn to Jesus. We have that choice here. Hell is not for me. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.